Okay, last week we uh, discussed about the kingdom of Solomon, and I wanted to give you this map here just to give you a little consideration of the area, the geographical area that Solomon is taking over here. All of this area that you see on the map, I don't know if this is showing up kind of a yellowish color here, it looks like. That is basically Israel proper. All of these other areas, like in the purple, those would be areas that would sometimes would be Israel's enemies, but now at this time they are under, what do I say, under great influence by Israel, and they're not, would not be considered an enemy. And you'll see over there on the left-hand side, the orange, that's the area of Phoenicia. But all of this area here, even in color, can be stated as being under the if not under the direct power, but under, under uh, great influence by the kingdom of Solomon. So this shows you the geographic area. And uh, we'll perhaps refer to that from time to time throughout our study. Who said these words? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Who said that? Jesus. Remember where he said that? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. The lesson for you and I is to not what? In that chapter, not worry, not be anxious. So he says, consider the lilies of the field. A lily is a kind of a it's not, it doesn't get a lot of glory, does it? But if you look at a, a field of lilies, and what I think about is sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to look at a flower up close, magnified many, many times. You see all the intricacies of a flower. It's just beautiful. But think about the a lily of the field. Now, a lily of the field here in this context, Matthew 6, is greater than Solomon. But in Matthew 6, what is greater than the lilies? Who takes care of us? Aren't we greater than the lilies? Isn't that a great picture? But even in this chapter, we would look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 29. It says, I say unto you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If you've never read this before you would be forced to go back to the Old Testament to understand, again, how great Solomon was. We saw that last week about how the, the magnitude of the building that took place, all of the labor, all the materials, the glory of just, and the, the, uh, the materials themselves, how, how magnificent they were, how rich they were, the gold, we looked at the gold. Now, let's go ahead and look at our text. I want to start tonight in 1 Kings chapter 2, but I want to start at the end of the lesson, 1 Kings 2, verse 46. <clears throat> so the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and fell upon him, talking about Shimei, so that he died. And this ends in chapter 2 with the words, and the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. I don't take that lightly. To me, that's a point 
it's kind of like saying, okay, chapters 1 and 2, we had some problems to work out. At the end of chapter 2, and the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. But before we get there, we have to work out a lot of problems. And a lot of these problems are kind of leftover business that David, King David has for his son. You might recall a few months ago we studied this. We touched on this uh, topic a little bit. But I want to look at it. We looked at it from the perspective of David, I guess, more then. But now let's look at these chapters more from the perspective of what's being handed, the kingdom that's being handed to Solomon and what he's dealing with as we go forward. So in order to get to 1 Kings 2, verse 46, where it says the kingdom was established, I think we've got to first work out all these problems that we're seeing in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and then his kingdom can go about the building as it's designed to do. Now let's get into our uh, text. 1 Kings chapter 1, it begins with David introducing us to the idea David at his old age is being attended to by a maiden by the name of Abishag in verse 3. Now this is introduced, but it's going to be brought up later, so keep this in the back of your mind. We'll, we'll bring Abishag up later. But for this, at this point, we know that David is old. He is, has a maiden that's attending to his needs. And meanwhile, in verse 5, the, then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? And he was also a very goodly man, and he was born after Absalom. So let's look just briefly here at the family tree of David. The five or the six sons that are on the left-hand side are those that were born in Hebron. And I want to point out basically what, we want, what we're interested in tonight is just Adonijah and then that son Solomon that was born in Jerusalem from Bathsheba. We're interested in those two. Just to give you an idea as we go forward into the New Testament how uh, just uh, for your information there Nathan that's just above Solomon plays into the family tree of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 or Luke 3, rather. But uh, it's interesting for our, as we see this family tree here, we've got Amnon, Daniel, and Absalom, Adonijah, all these were, were older than Solomon. Yet we've already seen last week that the promise is given to Solomon to take over the kingdom. So, from this family tree, just take Adonijah and Solomon. Normally, people would go with the next oldest one and look at him and say, well, maybe you're the one to be king next. Well, maybe Adonijah thought that too. Adonijah thought in verse 5 he exalted himself. And there's also the fact that he was not put under control by whom? By his father, David. Verse 6, he was he allowed to go unchecked. Verse 6, his father had not displeased him at any time and saying, why hast thou done so? Had we ever seen this problem arise in the 
family of David before? It seems all too common of a problem, doesn't it, in David's household? If you looked at the work of David on the battlefield, and you looked at the work of David in his family, how do they compare? How did, how did David do on the battlefield? How did he do? We've already seen a map there of how he stretched out the kingdom, over double the size of it. But how did he compare at home? Not as well, did he? As good as David was, there's a lesson in that that we see that the problems at home can destroy a man and his influence. His father had not displeased him at any time. You know, it's difficult. It becomes difficult to correct a child, and especially when they get to be an adult. To correct that child and, and to correct them in the right way, it's just so much easier to let it go, isn't it? It's just so much easier to brush it under the rug. And that seems to be what David's pattern of behavior was. Now, verse 7, he conferred with Joab, the son of, this is Adonijah, he conferred with Joab, conferred with uh, Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah, and they helped him. But there's three people in verse 8 that did not go with Adonijah to his self-exaltation, to his self-anointing to be king. Who were those three people? In verse 8. Zadok, and I'm going to pronounce it Benaiah. I don't know if that's uh, fitting or not, Benaiah. And then we have who? Nathan. Nathan. All right. As we look at these people that are behind Adonijah, you have Joab, he's a military leader. We have Abathar, he's a priest. There's someone missing, uh, in a capacity here, missing. Glaringly obvious, I might say. Who is it? What role is missing here? What is Nathan? Is there anyone comparable to Nathan? No. There's not a prophet here. Nathan is, uh, we'll talk about this more in the next paragraph. He, he doesn't have, uh, Adonijah doesn't have a prophet, so to speak, here to go with him that would compare to this. And as you read on in this paragraph, Solomon has three people behind him that are supporting him, Benaiah, who would be the military leader, Zadok, who would be the priest, and Nathan, who is a prophet. Now, I bring that up because it, since the time of Samuel, the prophets played such a major role in work with a king. And from the time that Samuel began working with the kings, God would work through those prophets to do. So as we look at, at it from God's perspective, who is it that really understands and knows the will of God and the word of God more in the kingdom than the, even the king himself? It's the prophet. And you'll see that all throughout First and Second Kings and Chronicles. How these kings ruled, but it's the prophets who had the word of God that tempered 
and or should temper what they do. Yes. You would think that any priest worth their salt would have wanted to consult God as well, mm -hmm. but you've got one on each side, so that seems to me that that was a problem. Yeah, that was a problem too. You're right. Indeed it was. So we go down to verse 11, and who is it, lo and behold, that brings up an issue with what's going on here? Verse 11, Nathan. Now we saw last week, we, we established the fact that Solomon was whose choice to be king? God's choice. God's choice. Nathan, in verse 11, brings that issue up. Now wait a minute now, what's going on here is not correct. This is not God's will. Is that what a prophet's supposed to do? Isn't he supposed to correct and reprove? And aren't we thankful that we have prophets? You know, so many times we think about a prophet, and a prophet, we think about a prophet foretelling the future, foretelling us what's going to happen in the future. But as much, or maybe even more than that, the prophets were used, as we stated earlier, for the kings to know what the will of God is and what the Word of God says. And is that what Nathan is here doing today? He is. Verse 11. He brought this up to Bathsheba, who is the mother of Solomon, and said, Have you heard what's going on? Adonijah has gone out here and exalts himself and plans on being king. He's taking over. He's usurping. Now, therefore, verse 12, come, let me, I pray thee, give thee counsel that thou mayest save thine own life and the life of your son Solomon. So there could be in jeopardy if, if this all works out, Adonijah becomes king. You and Solomon may be out, out of Israel and may be uh, off with your head. So he comes up with the plan and says, you need to go and approach David. First of all, understand that he, is, he has the word of God on his side. He knows what the will of God is. We established that last week. He knows. He's telling Bathsheba, remember Solomon is supposed to be king. And by the way, let me, let me bring this forward while we're talking about Nathan. Is, aren't we thankful that we have prophets today that remind us, correct us, and reprove us in the word of God? That we have prophets today, yes. Not foretelling the future, but foretelling or telling us the word of God and the will of God. Thankful for people like Nathan. Verse 15, Bathsheba went in unto the king. She goes in. Apparently she has the ability to uh, get in first. The king was very old. She bows to, before the king, verse 16. And she says, king, verse 18, uh, do you understand that Adonijah has sought to rule? He reigns, and thou, my lord, the king, knowest it not. You don't understand what's going on taking place in Jerusalem? And he's having a great uh, slaying these oxen and fatlings. Verse 19, and thou, verse 20, thou, my lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are upon you because you have not made it clear that Solomon is to be king. Yet again, we've seen, you might say, well, David's old. And he is feeble. 
But David needed to make it plain and make it clear who God's choice to be king was and let that be known to the people. Verse 20, you, you should tell them all who should sit on the throne. Otherwise, Solomon and I are in jeopardy. So verse 22, Nathan comes in. He uh, has, uh, I guess, the, they have their foot in the door. Now Nathan follows. He goes in and he speaks to the king and basically says the same thing that Bathsheba did, confirming all these things. And he tells him who all he's taken with him. Uh, these people that are, you might consider, traitors, Joab and Abiathar. In verse 25 and 26. Verse 26, But me, even me thy servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, thy servant Solomon, he hadn't called us. He hadn't called us because we were not uh, his cheerleaders, are we? Verse 27, Is this thing done by my Lord the king, and thou hast not shown it to us? Is there something that I'm missing here that, that hasn't been shown to us? And that's certainly not the case. Then in verse 28, David answered and said, Call Bathsheba back in here. Let's, I want her to hear this as well. And she said in verse, or he said to her, verse 30, Verily I swear unto thee by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on the throne in my stead. Verily so will I do this day. So David corrects the situation in verse 32. He, King David called, and he said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah. And he says, You take Solomon down to Gihon, put him on my mule, take him down there, and anoint him as king, and correct this situation. So thankfully, at this point, David understands that correction needs to be made, that not only does Solomon need to be anointed as king in this, what we might call an emergency situation. We saw last week that Solomon was anointed again and more of a ceremonial type thing, but this perhaps is the first anointing. That one's the more of the open ceremony with the assembly. But here is what we might call an emergency anointing, making sure that the people know who Solomon is, that he's to be king, and uh, verse 38, so Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and Pelethites went down, caused Solomon to ride upon the king's mule, brought him to Gihon, and Zadok the priest took the horn of oil out of the tent and anointed Solomon. And they shouted, Long live the king. So, we get to a point like this, and before we proceed with the rest of the chapter, let me make a, uh, an observation or perhaps a thought question. What happens when entities, nations, organizations, families, and people do not know who is in charge? Chaos. And that's what happens here, isn't it? Even churches, families, businesses, when they don't understand and don't 
acknowledge who the authority, who the leader is. They come to ruins. Verse 41, Adonijah and all the guests that were with him, they heard this noise, all this commotion going on. And I guess Adonijah at this point is thinking, well, I thought this was my day. I thought this was my day to celebrate, my day to be exalted, my day to, to be anointed. And then they hear all this commotion. And Jonathan answered and says, yes, our Lord, the King David, has made Solomon king, verse 43. Don't you imagine that came as quite a surprise to Adonijah, quite a shock. And threw water on his plans. So the uh, king was anointed. They... Uh, Verse 46, Solomon sits on the throne. They told him that Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. Moreover, verse 47, the king's servants came to bless our Lord King David, saying, Thy God, make the name of Solomon better than thy name, and make his strong greater than thy throne. And the king bowed himself upon the bed. He's telling all this to Adonijah, and Adonijah has to be at this point Saddened, downtrodden, shocked. Verse 49, all the guests of Adonijah were afraid, rose up, and went every man his way. Why would they be afraid? Why would fear come upon them now? Back in the wrong guy. <laughs> mm -hmm, back in the wrong guy. God's choice had been made clear to Solomon, I mean to David. David knew, Bathsheba knew, Nathan knew. Now it's time that all Israel understand and know, and it's gone far too long without that taking place. Verse 51, it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon, for lo, he hath laid hold on the horns of the altar. This is apparently a, uh, a uh, proclamation or an exercise and to claim his innocence. He goes into the altar lays his hands upon the horns of the altar to claim innocence, but is that good enough for Adonijah? No. Solomon said, He shall show himself worthy man. There shall not a hair of him fall to the earth. So he gives him a chance, but if he wickedness be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and did obeisance to the king, King Solomon, and Solomon said, okay, go to your house. So Solomon is giving him a chance, isn't he? Adonijah has bowed before the king, acknowledging him as king, I will say, at this point. So Solomon is mercy is giving him mercy and saying, okay, go to your house and giving him a, a chance. All right, any thoughts on chapter 1? As we started out the lesson tonight, I want you to see as we walk through this, some of the problems that Solomon is having to deal with. Before we can get to the point at the end of chapter 2 where the kingdom will be established, 
uh, and that can be said by inspiration that the kingdom of Solomon was established. We've got to work through these, these issues. And Adonijah is the first of yet several more to come. Chapter 2. Now the days of Solomon, or days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I am going the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments, his ordinances. And this would be parallel to what we saw last week. There's much more to building than knowing how to construct wood and stone and, and, and so forth. Solomon needs to understand that his endeavor to be king is established on the word of God and how closely he adheres his heart to God. And that's what we're seeing here. David's charging him here. This is a beautiful charge, really, and it's something that uh, any father ought to give his children at some point in their life. It would be good to go back and read these and read these to your children. You know, when you get to an age where you feel like it's appropriate, speak these words to your children. Instill in them the need to obey God and to follow God because that's the most important thing. And that's what he's doing. Verse 4, the middle part of verse 4, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, there shall not fail a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab... Now he's going to get into some problems. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting how easily he segues into this, the charge to Solomon, and then just slowly transitions into problems, more problems to deal with. So verse 5, Moreover thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zeruiah did unto me, even what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed the blood of war and peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and his, in his shoes. You see, Joab was a ruthless man who slayed, uh, had slain these innocent people, people that would be his peers uh, in many respects, Abner and Amasa. But he slayed them, and they were innocent. They were not under, you know, you think about David and Joab, how many people they had slain throughout their days. But they had been directed by God when to do so. And when Joab took it upon himself to slay an innocent man, or two innocent people here brought to our attention, he is to be held accountable. Also, he brings to light, verse 7, Barzillai, who, he, who had shown him kindness as, he was, as David was fleeing Jerusalem from Absalom. Barzillai had shown him much kindness. He says to Solomon, be kind to him. Be gracious to him as well. Verse 8, he brings up Shimei. You may recall Shimei. He's the one that, that mocked King David. Later he would re, uh, recant that and he would 
bow before David and show him honor. But apparently, I would assume that Shimei has gone back into his ways as well, into his stubborn, rebellious ways, and has once again found disfavor in the eyes of David. Uh, now, we've got three people here, verse 5, Joab, and then verse 7, Barzillai, who we should show kindness to, and then verse 8 is uh, Shimei. So these people, he directs them, what, directs Solomon what to do unto these people as you carry on in the kingdom. Now let's catch up with our, uh, I'm behind on my PowerPoint here. Verse 1 through 9, David's charge to Solomon. Then the, we have the death of David here in verse 10. That David slept with his fathers, was buried in the city of David, and the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Uh, I believe in 2 Samuel chapter 5 we would find that David began his reign at the age of 30. And so that would put David now at 70 years of age. He reigned in Hebron seven years. He reigned in Jerusalem thirty and three years. And Solomon sat upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. All right, now let's, we're going to uh, look at some, we're going to go back in our history here to what happened in chapter 1 with Adonai, Adonijah and Abishag. In verse 13, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and, and he says, or she says, Comest thou peaceably, my son, or, or Adonijah? And he says, Yes, I come peaceably. And as you read all the next two or three verses, what is it that Adonijah wants to request that Bathsheba do? <coughs> he wants Abishag. Doesn't he? Abishag, you remember in the first part of chapter 1, is the maiden that attended to David in his last days. <coughs> Adonijah wants Abishag for his own. So he convinces Bathsheba to go before Solomon and ask, in verse 17... He says, you go to him and you ask him because he'll, he'll, answer, he'll talk to you. He'll listen to you. Verse 17, he said, speak, I pray unto thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say thee no or to thee nay or, or give you a negative answer. That he give me Abishag the Shudamite to wife. So how does Bathsheba respond? Okay, I'll do that. What has Adonijah done here with Bathsheba? Why didn't he go to King Solomon and ask himself? Why didn't he just approach King Solomon and say, can I have Abishag? Think maybe he knew what the answer would be? I think so. I think he's using Bathsheba to get to Solomon to maybe get his way to... to using her in such a way where he can have what he wants. Now as we read on, Bathsheba went to the king, verse 19, to speak unto Adonijah. He came in and allowed her to sit at his right hand. 
And she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, verse 21. Now, at this point, what is Solomon's response to that? Yeah. No. Is Solomon being rude? No. We can't really quite, I don't think we can understand what's going on here as much. But if we understand that day and time and those kingdoms in ancient time, what Adonijah is seeking to do is supplant King Solomon. To subvert his kingdom in some way by taking this maiden who was David's. And now if he gets her, then this exalts him once again. Solomon sees right through it. And he says, no. Verse 23, then King Solomon said, he swear to God, God do so to me and more also, if Adonijah hath not spoken this word against his own life. Now remember earlier that Solomon had shown mercy to Adonijah. And now this is a, an attempt to subvert the kingdom of Solomon Verse 24 and 25, what does he declare is going to happen now to Adonijah? Put to death. He's going to be put to death. Last part of verse 24, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. And we might look at this again and say, well, Solomon is overreacting. But Solomon understood in his wisdom that this was an attempt to subvert his kingdom and subvert him as well. Now I want you to suppose, let's pause here in verse 25 and consider what would have happened if, if Adonijah had been allowed Abishag and had been allowed to do what he wanted to do. What might have happened? We'd have civil war. Civil war? You think about all the the uh, chaos that was taking place in David's kingdom back in the day. You might have some more situations like that, mightn't you? If Adonijah had, what about if Adonijah had had the humility to show Solomon the proper honor due a king that is God's anointed king? What if Adonijah had had the humility and, and shown Solomon the proper honor. What could have been? All too often men get a little bit of footing and get a little bit of uh, popularity and fame and recognition. And then when that's taken away, they're ready to keep clawing and keep scratching and keep fighting for that. And Adonijah has seen his demise at his own doing. All right, any thoughts up to that point? Yes? That would have been real similar to what Absalom did with, with the mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that's what comes to my mind. Yeah, it would have been very similar. Yes? So perhaps 
perhaps David had sown the seeds for this to happen and never denying Adonijah anything when he was growing up. We see the results of that kind of uh, mm -hmm. raising your children. If David, going back to the point that we were talking about earlier, if David had shown the fortitude, sometimes you got to, you know, in dealing with your own family, it takes a lot of work. Shown all the work and the effort that he did on the battlefield, shown that at home, how much different things would have been. And I'll pause there to think about, you know, us, you know, Sometimes it's said of a man, well, he's successful at business, isn't he? But then you look behind that and see the family that's breaking down. But boy, he's successful at work. He's great at the office. Verse 26, as we continue. Now David's work is not finished. He still has more to do in dealing with these uh, rebels, in dealing with those that are disruptive and incorrigible. As we continue, verse 26, of Athar the priest, who was at one time doing good. He had one, at one point in time, he was doing what he should. But now he's backing this rebel Adonijah and Solomon shows him mercy and says, get you to your home, go to your fields, go to Adathoth in verse 26. You're worthy of death, but you will, uh, you go home and, and behave yourself, stay there. And he thrust out Abiathar, verse 27, from being priest that day. By the way, this is a fulfillment of 1 Samuel 2. If you'll recall, that was where Eli, is, his family lineage was cursed. That's 150 years prior to this. God hadn't forgotten about that. So he brings this forward and fulfills that very promise in Abiathar, saying, where Solomon says, you're thrust out from being priest, and this puts an end to the house of Eli in priesthood, in verse 27. These tidings come to Joab in verse 28, and how does he feel? When he hears Adonijah, maybe he hears Adonijah, what's happened to him. He hears about Abiathar. So what's he going to think now? Where does he go? Go to those, he goes and grabs the rabbit's foot. The horns of the altar, there I'll be safe. I'm, nobody can touch me there. That's apparently the thinking of the day. But the only problem is, what do you have to be before you do something of that nature? You've got to be guiltless, right? Cannot be guilty. Verse 29, it was told to uh, the king, Joab has fled, he's by the altar. Joab, or he tells him to go get him. And Benaiah says, well, he's holding on to the altar. Here, I can't get him. I can't bring him in. <clears throat> well, jo Solomon says, take him anyway. The Lord, verse 32, the Lord will return his blood upon his own head because he fell upon two other men more righteous and better than he and slew them with the sword. 
And my father David knew it not, to wit Abner and Amasa. So shall their blood be upon the head of Joad, upon the head of his seed forever. And then verse 40, or verse 34 and 35, Badeah fell upon him, slew him, buried him in his own house in the wilderness. In verse 35, the king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his room over the host, and Zadok the priest he put in the room of Abiathar. So you remember these two, verse 35, Benaiah and uh, Zadok, they had backed Solomon. So now they're recognized for that and put in their appropriate places. And uh, we've taken care of Adonijah, We've taken care of Abiathar. We've taken care of Joab. Now who's left to take care of before we get things squared away in the kingdom? Shimei. In the last paragraph of the chapter, the king sent and called for Shimei, verse 36, said unto him, Build thee a house in Jerusalem, and dwell there, and go not forth anywhere. So was Solomon being merciful to Dave, to Shimei? He's being very merciful to him, isn't he? Go build you a house somewhere where apparently here where we can keep an eye on you in Jerusalem. Stay there and don't go anywhere. It's kind of like, makes me think about the ankle uh, things they put on prisoners today. They put that on there so they can keep track of you. Well, Shimei, we're going to keep track of you. We're going to keep our thumb down on you. Solomon is being merciful to him. The only problem is what? Time goes by and what happens? Verse 39, uh, enough time goes by, and maybe, maybe everybody will forget about this. Maybe everybody will forget about what, you know, why I'm here, and maybe I can sneak out. Verse 39, it came to pass at the end of three years that two of the servants of Shimei ran away, went to Gath, had been in the land of Philistia. And Shimei goes to get them. The only problem is Shimei was not allowed to go out of Jerusalem. So is he technically breaking the covenant with Solomon. Yes. So what is the consequence to that? Yes. Verse 43, he approaches him and says, Why have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I have charged thee with in order to be just I have to stand by the word that's given to you. Verse 44, the king said, Thou knowest all the wickedness which thy heart is privy to, that thou didst to my father David. Therefore the Lord shall return to thy wickedness upon thine own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Now, I think there's a lot that we don't understand and don't really know about Shimei, but I I really think that he's one of those thorns in your side. He's always there to, uh, as he did maybe in the days of David, to mock the king, to undermine him in many ways. And if you keep someone like that around, what is going to happen? Apparently, Shimei has enough clout here. If he has 
that ability to stay and to undermine the king, what happens? It grows, it grows, and grows. Verse 46, the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out, he fell upon him so that he died, and the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Any thoughts as we come to the end of chapter 2? So Joab seeks protection at the altar as if that was going to help. Shimei did. All of these men, Adonijah, one after another, Abiathar is taken care of, Joab is taken care of, Shimei is taken care of. Now we can get down to the business of Establishing the kingdom, building the temple, and we can do that without distraction, without interruption, without someone undermining the work that we're setting out to do. Any other thoughts as we close? All right, appreciate your participation.